Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Athena Latoka. Born in Anchorage, Alaska, and currently living in New York City, this Hunkpapa Lakota and Ojibwe artist creates artwork that fills entire walls that are large enough to hold her unique pieces. Two years ago, I was fortunate enough to witness a landscape that she had created for the Plains Art Museum during a residency that we were hosting. Um, but when I say landscape, this isn't the traditional romanticism type of artwork that one would assume that's being created. Uh, instead, she created something from a perspective and use of material that one would not expect to see. It's, it's really hard to describe uh, in person. Uh, but what makes Athena so interesting is the way that she looks at the world beyond just what is there to see. It's, it's really hard for me to articulate. So let's just jump into this interview with Athena. Athena, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to see you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, no, thank you so much for, for being here. It's, it's, you know, you were at the Plains uh, two years ago. And so it's, it's great to, to hear you and see you again after, oh yeah, two years. It feels like a homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you tell us a little bit of, of, about yourself, your background, where you're from? Uh, if you could introduce yourself, please. Sure. My name is Athena Latoka. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska, and grew up in Eagle River, Alaska, just uh, it's a little northeast of Anchorage, about 45 minutes. And um, I'm a visual artist with a background in painting. And um, I still think pretty much along those lines. Um, although I'm moving a little more into uh, sculpture and more dimensionality, um, adding more dimensionality to the work. So can you talk a little bit about uh, your biggest influences along the way, uh, early on and even today? Early on, when I was first getting started with um, studio practice, I was introduced to the artist Francis Bacon and I haven't really told anybody about this before, <laughs> but this is, um, he was, he was one of the first artists that I looked at in depth. And when I was researching him, you know, I was going through a period and, and still kind of look back at that, those ideas, but I was thinking a lot about, um, you know, where we come from psychologically, you know, thinking about um, very visceral kinds of imagery, very emotive. And Francis Bacon, when I was introduced to his work, it seemed to resonate uh, on all of those levels. And there was a disturbing element to it that I felt really underscored the way that I felt in contemporary mainstream society. Uh, but that was that was early on. <laughs> so, you know, you go to go to school and you learn more and and become more aware of other artists and people out there. And I, I would say that um, you know, I spent a long time looking at the German Expressionist artists, you know, Max Beckmann, uh, and even um, Italian, like Kuki. Um, and, you know, so, I, you know, I thought about that a lot. And so there was a lot of that drive or that, uh, that there was a lot of interest in, pursuing that kind of emotive aspect in the work, you know, like how do you get at something? And that, that 
psychological kind of visceral reach to get there. So the German expressionists really, uh, really helped and it really resonated there for, for many years until, you know, several years after that, when I started learning about the earth artists, the earthworks artists, the land artists of the 60s and 70s, and how important scale was, because at the time, you know, I noticed that my work had this propensity to grow. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't as though I set out to say, you know, that I'm going to make a big drawing or I'm going to make a big painting. The work just kept growing and growing and growing, and I needed to see it larger and larger. So I think you, you know, as, a, as an artist, uh, you need to do what you can to allow for that growth or to allow the work to be what it is or what it should be or what it needs to be. So it's following the work. So following the work led me to Robert Smithson and reading a lot about his ideas of time, object, and entropy. And so it was thinking about how those elements affect the way that you can feel the presence of an object or a thing. So that was really, that was really important for me and somebody that I go back to quite often. Um, you know, of course, Michael Heiser as well, but not so much. Um, mostly, mostly Smithson. And when I was in grad school, I was introduced to Howardina Pindell. She was teaching there at Stony Brook University in the fine arts department. And I was incredibly fortunate to spend, spend much time talking with her and uh, hearing her own stories and her own perspectives about her work and the way that she saw things, the way that she perceived things. And it helped me understand my own bending away from, you know, psychology. You know, I started looking more at, you know, cultural and political and social issues and found myself becoming more uh, more disturbed, again, more sometimes distraught or filled with angst and sometimes, you know, just sheer frustration at, you know, how, how we're here and how we got here. And specifically, how we got here as Native Americans and the traumatic past that has yet to be spoken much of. And these things really unnerved me in ways that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was new to me coming out of undergrad to try to, I don't want to say reconcile because that suggests something else, but how do you, how do you understand and how do you, how do you uh, put this in perspective so that you can ground yourself in what you're doing, right? So meeting Howardina Pindell in graduate school was um, huge. It was, um, It was a it was a very uh, powerful experience to have that conversation, to have those dialogues where people that I were was encountering in the world, the people I was encountering, uh, really didn't care about those things. Really didn't want to have those conversations, or they didn't recognize it. Um, so I felt that there was um, there was some commonality 
in that struggle and in that that um, that urgency to have conversations and to explore that in the studio. Um, so Howard Dino Pindell was important for that. Um, and, you know, other influences, there's a couple influences that I, I look at and I bring into the studio with me quite often. And um, Noam Chomsky, um, I bring him into the studio <laughs> with me <laughs> through, you know, recorded uh, interviews and talks that he's given. And also Carl Sagan, you know, thinking about where we are as a human species and um, where we are situated in our place on this blue planet in the cosmos. Um, so I would say Noam Chomsky and Carl Sagan helped me ground myself relative to um, everything greater that is out there. I think that's, it's a great insight. Um, you know, so often I, when we ask this question about influences, um, a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they pick out the obvious um, fellow artists or academics. Um, but I think you've touched on something that I think everyone does, including myself when we're working, listening to um, philosophies and different visions that aren't so much about the arts but it shapes the way we approach and create. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of ironic because when I'm, when I'm most stressed out, <laughs> when I'm most stressed out in the studio, I find that listening to Noam Chomsky and Carl Sagan, it calms me, you know, and I think it, has something to do with that, you know, greater than thou, larger than me, um, bigger than the world perspective. Um, so it just, but, uh, you know, it's something that it, particularly like Noam Chomsky and, you know, and, and also just listening to their voices, you know, because there's such, um, you know, thoughtfulness in this, in the conversations or in the speaking that you know you slow down to take in what they're saying well i on a more basic level even with carl sagan the way he articulates and his cadence his speaking cadence it's 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 almost hypnotic <laughs> it is it is but it, it it really pulls me outside of um you know my own inner churnings or mm. <laughs> whatever i feel like whatever this trauma is that I'm going through or what are these these pressures and timelines are you know and um you know that those those that kind of heart-wrenching kind of urgency that we feel with some things in life uh, but yes there is a there's a nice hypnotic tone uh to Carl Sagan and and also Noam Chomsky sometimes but the one thing that I appreciated both of um about both of them is their ability to, you know, to speak and articulate clearly. And, um, you know, I love the fact that Noam Chomsky is, he's still with us. You know, thankfully he's still with us. He's one, one of the last few, you know, large thinkers about who we are as, as, as social, social creatures. Um, but there's, um, but, you know, he, he will meet with anyone. You know, I don't know about now these days, though, because he's such a, he's so late on in his years, but he wouldn't, he would not refuse meetings with people. Hmm. So, um, but yeah, he's down in, um, what is he down in Arizona now? Teaching down there? Can you believe that? I, I don't know. <laughs> he's down deep in Arizona. Well, he was, you know, last fall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, hmm. hope he's doing well in the drier climate. How, 
how would you develop or how have you developed your career uh college post college that's a good question because you know in college you know I, I felt like my god I was just I felt so hungry like I wanted to learn everything you know I wanted to do everything and and I thought gosh darn you know like I'm I'm paying for this <laughs> you know because you know I took out those darn student loans and I got some grants and scholarships too but you know I kept thinking here I have this opportunity to go to school I'm going to make the most of it so I took like six classes a semester and I was working almost full time and and I just took you know I took a lot of life drawing still life and um figure figure drawing figure painting figure sculpting <laughs> you know like you know because I thought well how do you learn you learn from what you see around you you know and how do you how do you create your own ideas and forms and how do you visualize them so I, I took a lot of life classes and um just everything that I could printmaking 4d 3d um you know, took video and audio. Um, but, you know, I thought all that was important. But at the same time, I was just, I just, I was working all the time in the studio all the time. So I wasn't really socializing. So <laughs> socializing is also very important to do in your development. Um, <laughs> but, but I did not do much of that. <laughs> um, and, um, even in in um, graduate school, it was much of the same, you know, taking everything that you could possibly take, trying things that you could, you know, whatever you could try out. Um, but at, at that time in graduate school, I realized that I wasn't too keen on performance, you know, perform the performing arts. And I was just a visual artists look at looking at images and um, for the most part and how do you how do you make these things so you know and similarly and I wasn't out socializing much you know, so it's just like, it seems to be a trend there um, and even post-college I feel like it, everything is uh, still scrambling and running and it, it is important to pause from time to time and you know spend time with other artists and other people and have those conversations um, and you know running into other artists you know you know you find oh I'm pretty normal <laughs> <You know? laughs> other artists are like that too they want to just, you know, be in their work and be in their studio. I was talking to some someone recently, uh, I think it was Andrea Carlson, about uh, being in the studio and maybe being in the studio a little too long, you know, because we have to come out every now and then. And it's uh, our, our awkward response to human contact, you know, after we've been in the studio for, um, if not days, weeks at a time working on something, you know. Yes, there is that. And, um, you know, because there's so many conversations that take place in your head, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially when you're in the studio by yourself. Yes. Some of it becomes, you know, some of it you articulate <laughs> and put out in the <laughs> speak to yourself, you know. Um, so that, that's part of it, too, um, good or bad. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's one of the things that I love about being here in New York is um, is being in the city and getting around by subway you're constantly engaging you know with people in in a variety of ways <laughs> you know so you know the casual subway you know riders or uh, people on the street in the stores in the shops 
Um, you know, so you're you're constantly engaging with quite a variety of people. And right now I'm moving studios and setting up a temporary studio in East Fishkill, which is basically like in the middle of nowhere um, in an old IBM complex. It, I guess I think it used to be like a, a call center and there used to be upwards of approximately 30,000 people that worked there. So it's this massive complex and much of it is empty now. So I'm setting up a temporary studio in this very empty section of a ginormous, this ginormous empty call center. So it's like, you remember in the matrix, you know, he's in the, the all those cubicles. <laughs> so, so there I am, that's my studio now, but the space has been cleared out. Um, so it'll, I'll, I'm going to be going back to less human contact. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no more no less 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 human contact <laughs> so things are going to get quieter and they could get more interesting mm. well you have the the space though to work on what you need to because i think Correct. i recall you talking before about uh one of your previous spaces where the piece was so large you could not work on it at the same time you had to sort of shift it as you went Correct. There's that's that's happened in a number of studios. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, a number of the studios I've worked in, I could only look at maybe um, anywhere from maybe ten to fifteen feet at length um, at at the most. And some of these pieces were thirty to forty feet long. So working on them required setting up a scrolling system in order for me to move back and forth in the image. The hardest part was trying to get a sense of where I was and what was going on. What I saw happening there relative to what was happening on the adjacent areas that were then rolled up and no longer visible, directly visible. So it was and continues to be a way that I work sometimes. And it's a great practice in, um, peripheral peripheral vision or thinking because it's you're in order to see what you're doing you know you you have to recall other places that you've been and and it's it's a bit of a challenge but there's something about it that I actually kind of enjoy you know not being able to see the whole thing mm. And that might have something to do with why I like to work on such a large scale, because there's no way that you could fully take it in. Right. And can you ever step back far enough mm. <laughs> to really, you know, see the whole thing, mm -hmm. which is a bit like perceiving or walking in the world at large. Mm. It almost feels like um, having faith in yourself and trusting in your your in what you're doing, an exercise in faith, possibly. Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> it feels like that, and um, it it is having that. It reminds me of like Kierkegaard's leap of faith, right? And you know, thinking about. Um, that particular passage where, you know, about Abraham and Isaac and how, you know, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? And he puts his trust, he has faith that things will 
work out right. Not that I'm overtly religious. I'm just going back to, um, you know, Kierkegaard's um, you know, reflections on that, you know, and, and that, you know, that walk into the unknown, kind of like when you walk into the night with no auxiliary lighting mm. and you have to kind of trust your senses and remember that not everything that you see is real, right? And that your imagination is a large player in what you're, ex what you're experiencing. Because as humans, we have such a, we have such an incredible imagination that, you know, like, to this day, I see things and I'm like, oh my God, there's nothing there. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? But, but it's just, you feel like there might be something there. Um, and it could be, you know, all the brain damage from, you know, staying up, you know, two, three days in a row <laughs> you know, going, oh my God, does that do something to your brain? I didn't know that. Um, but, but, you know, these, these things, you know, perception is very, I'm, I'm fascinated with that how we see things, how we perceive things. And it's not just an optical, you know, but all the senses, you know, these sensory perceptions. Um, so it, it's an incredibly fascinating way to operate in the studio, you know, learning to trust what's there, what's not there, learning to trust um, your memory of what you think you just did, you know, and then you had to roll it up and you, it was no longer visible. And then your your memory of that and your your the physical memory because we have this memory your you have the body memory like I moved like this you know I reached over here and you remember what that felt like you know so you're looking at what's dead in front of you and going oh my god what is this hmm. you know and, and where did this come from you know what is it linking up to so so I like that kind of um, knowing not knowing um it's kind of the leap of faith the trust the intuition um and it's it's like walking or jumping into the abyss how have opportunities presented themselves to you or how do you seek opportunities Opportunities. Well, there's a there's a lot of great resources out there. The New York Foundation for the Arts, they have some incredible um, listings there, pages and pages of listings for opportunities for exhibitions, for funding, for jobs, for freelance work. It's all it's it's a tremendous tremendous resource. There's also Creative Capital. Uh, you can get on their listserv, and they send out newsletters. Um, but you can you can go to their website too and find opportunities. And also the the College Art Association, the College Art Association, they'll have opportunities for artists as well. It's not just for teaching jobs, <laughs> you know. So so there's there's exhibitions, there's grants, fellowships, things like that. Um, so, you know, and sometimes it's word of mouth. So again, you know, just, you know, having conversations with your mentors, um, other artists and, um, yeah, uh, more established artists. If you can, if you're, if you are friends with more established artists, sometimes they'll direct things to you as well. So it's really you know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, you know, and I've been very grateful that I've had some very good friends who send me things when they find things as well. Because as you know, in our day to day, sometimes we can't always take those five minutes, 10 minutes to go to the website to flip through the, the resources, you know, and it's like, yeah, so it, it can, it can, it's, 
yeah, it's incredible to have have good friends that have that can help you. And I've been grateful for wonderful friends that have helped me too. The, um, the, the, the last question, um, is what, what would you want to say to the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? So many things. <laughs> no. Well, you know, th that's, that's a good question too, because it's just, um, there's a lot to, there's a lot to consider there, you know, and, um, I think fundamentally, Fundamentally, it's it's important to try things out, to explore, um, do your best to get out of your comfort zone. And I think by putting that, establishing that, that in your studio practice, I think can be incredibly beneficial and help you move in different directions. You know, it, the importance of play can open up avenues that you had no idea. You know, um, there's a there's a a book out there that I looked at. I think fresh out of undergrad. It's called The Artist's Way. I don't know. If, have you ever heard of that book? I have. I haven't read it though. Is it, yeah. Well, I started reading it and then gave it away because someone was going, you know, I thought someone, I thought it could help someone. Um, but I, I read the first few chapters and it was actually incredibly helpful in terms of getting your, getting unstuck and just getting stuff out. And I think that's what, it's so important when you're, you know, when you're younger and when you're older, you know, all the way through life to get stuff out. Um, and the, the artist way helped you in a couple different ways to look at that. And one was daily writing, hmm. you know, just to sit down, you know, and sit down every morning first thing before you, you know, as you're waking up and write do automatic writing three pages minimum and just sit and unedited uncensored just just let it rip get it out on the page and they tell you she tells you in the book like if you don't know what to write write i don't know what to write i don't know what to write and then eventually just let the words out and write them as they come to you don't don't try to cut the flow or shift it doing that and that and don't and don't go back and read it just write it close the book and put it away hmm. next day pull out the book in the morning write it don't look at it and put it away and because she really wants to stress the the importance of not editing you know not censoring yourself you know and getting that that internal critic out of your head, you know, just shut it off. And then maybe after a month or a couple months of doing that, then you can go back and read it. And it was actually quite revealing <laughs> you know, what comes out. You're like, oh my God, you know, and there's some really interesting, you know, you know, writing about your dreams, writing about your thoughts, your perceptions, you know, what you're visually experiencing in the moment, what you're feeling. And it was incredibly insightful. Um, but so, you know, I got that out of it. And that I would say, I've had some professors that have helped me with that when I was younger, encouraging that kind of writing. And I had lost my way <laughs> until I got that book again. Um, and other things that um, came up is the importance of play. And, you know, like once a week, Try to pick up something, you know, just spend like a dollar, a couple dollars if you have that, or just find something, you know, out in your environment and bring that into the studio to play with, you know, or bring it into your home 
to play with and, you know, and just to wonder about, but interact with it. Um, and, you know, so things that normally you don't do. So when I was first reading this book, for example, you know, and I thought I was in some store and I saw those little tiny, they're like, they're little rubber balls that are about inch and a half in diameter. And I thought, oh my God, I haven't played with one of those balls since, you know, <laughs> I was a child, you know, like, oh, like, I don't, I couldn't even remember like a child, like, and, and I thought, what would that be like to bounce that ball around, <laughs> you know, so it was like silly, you know, but I, I didn't know what that felt like, uh, and it was so long. So, you know, I just took that out and I forgot how those things bounce. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm thinking back to memories I haven't thought about in 30 plus years. I remember you would just strike them on the ground and they would ricochet. <laughs> I know. Well, I first tried it in the, in the room, but I didn't, in my apartment, I was living in a little tiny studio apartment in Chicago at the time. <laughs> so I just took this ball and I just, I just, I had, I had put some plywood floors down cause it was a carpeted studio and I didn't want carpet. And so I went out and bought some plywood and put that down over the carpet and, you know, and I just dropped the ball and I was like, Oh my God, boom, 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 boom. You know, it was like going everywhere. I was like, dang. Um, you know, and then I remember taking it out into the street and then playing around with it there. But, oh, my God, it made you run. You know, because <laughs> running after that ball. Oh, my God. But, you know, so it's just, you know, and I, I think I think that has a lot to, you know, I think that says a lot about um, the importance of um, maybe going back and reliving things or re-experiencing things or trying new things out. and. And I, I think that's really important for younger artists. Um, don't, don't, you know, of course, I think when I was 18 and 16, I thought I knew so much, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, that's only a drop in the bucket, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so I really, um, you know, and I still do it today, try to try new things out, you know, and and I think as the, the older that we get, the more that, you know, as we move through life, it's harder to do that. Yeah. You know? Or maybe it's just me. No, you're not. Okay. You yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's really because we, we have our schedules, we have our meetings, we have timelines that we're trying, that we're working to meet, um, you know, and grocery shopping and laundry, um, you know, and you can't really explore too much in those areas, you know, um, but, you know, there's, you know, like, do you remember when, I don't know if you, like when we were children on Sundays, Sundays after church, we'd all get in the van. We had a family of seven children. So we're all like, piled in the van um and we would go for a sunday drive you know and we would just we would just drive hmm. and um quite often we drove down the valley you know and we get out and walk around and it was about you know about maybe 45 minutes to an hour down the valley and back but we were just you know, it was just, you know, single lane, single two lane highway. Um, but it was just like, you know, how often do we do things like that these days? Yeah. You know, just stop everything and then just, I'm just going to go for a drive. Where are you going? Nowhere in particular. You know? Hmm. you know, so I think, you know, doing things like that. I think those are important too, but essentially, you know, it's, it's that play and trying things out and exploring. Um, those are the things that I believe are important to, 
stimulating, activating your imagination, letting your mind go. Yeah. That's perfectly said. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mind just left. <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, I, right now with my workload and I'm sure anyone listening to this, <clears throat> um, the workday gets so heavy and we get so bogged down and before you know it, um, a week or two weeks have gone by and you've just been in this routine trying to meet deadlines, trying to just whatever the, the issue of the day is. And yeah, um, I think the idea of taking a break is so wonderful. Being able to just step out of the routine and go for a drive. Um, it's a beautiful thought. It is a beautiful thought. It also feels like a, like a luxury too. Yeah have to take that time and, and people go well it's right there the time is right there it's like is it <laughs> you know because you're, you're feeling that that pressure like oh i'm tired i'm wiped out but it's really um it's like going to the gym right it's like you know once you get there you realize oh my god this is great this feels good um why did i not think of doing this sooner hmm. um yeah, and and you know one of the things I'm I often think about is you know Leonardo talks about the Leonardo da Vinci um, wrote about these different ideas of how you can encourage or open up the imagination. Yeah, and. One of them are things that we do quite naturally as humans when we go outside and look at the sky, we look at the clouds and we try to, you know, we read images, you know, like, look at the rabbit, you know, in the sky or, you know, or, oh my God, that's a big, you know, there's like a reclining nude over there. Oh my God. You know, and, you know, cause you, you, your imagination is just an incredible thing. You just give the mind just a little bit of information and it just takes it and runs with it. Um, so cloud watching, you know, Leonardo da Vinci talked about cloud watching. Um, he talked about um, looking into smoke and seeing images of smoke. Um, looking into fire and seeing images in the fire. And, you know, that's something that, God, I love that. I love staring into fire. And you have that heat, you have the intensity, you have the crackling noises. Um, and I think what we learn through these practices is we can apply that to other events that happened throughout our day. There was um, several years ago, I lived in, I lived in Queens, New York for about three years. And the apartment, it was a third floor apartment in a row house that was right next to the BQE. <laughs> and very near LaGuardia. <laughs> and it was, you know, I remember looking out the living room window and going, wow, that's the BQE right there. And I could see people, I could see the cab drivers and the cabs driving <laughs> by, <laughs> you know, because it, it was elevated. And, you know, it, but literally I could see, <laughs> I could see into people's cars. And, um, but I remember like some days I'd be sitting there and I would hear, I would open up the windows and I would hear the rush of traffic. And it was just, shh. And, and I remember just, I wasn't really thinking about it, but I just had the windows open and I wasn't looking and I was just hearing the sound and it sounded like waterfalls, you know? Hmm. So it was really, you know, it just, you know, just the ways that the mind, you know, you can shift a few things in the mind and something can become something else. Hmm. You know, so there's this this um, this transformative power of the mind or of you know, of the imagination, 
or would it be the imagination has the power to transform the mind hmm. and what we think and how we perceive things. This reminds me of something that you showed me. Um, the day we went down to Sichahalo, and oh, man. we Sichahalo, um, for those who's listening, it's a park in northeast South Dakota, north of Sisseton. And it's a place that I went through all my growing up years. It's a, I know those paths back and forth. Um, and I've walked those paths dozens and dozens of times. And that's no exaggeration. But I remember you were pointing out the lines of color throughout all of uh, the, the tree lines and the foliage and the dirt that I had never seen before. And that I don't know if it was a an exercise in, I wouldn't say imagination because it was right there, but perception for sure. And it was something that I've never seen before and I can't unsee that now. And so it's something I look for. Um, this just reminds me of that. You know, it's, you're looking at something that you think, you know, and you understand, and then you shift your perception a little bit and you see so much more that's happening. That's there that if you're not looking for it, you can't see it. And it makes the experience much more richer. So thank you for that. It's, changed the way I someplace that I love and it just makes it that much more now oh, it's like the curse of the artist's mind <laughs> yeah. because part of it part of it is um, part of it is you know uh, spending spending time looking and spending time transcribing so when you're drawing or painting or sculpting from life, you start looking at systems. You start looking at relationships. So at Sicha, it's so funny because I was thinking of Sicha Hollow and the colors are coming out here more now and I think about this is this is when I this time two years ago this exact month two years ago is when I was out in Fargo and out exploring these areas and you took me to see Joe Hollow and you took me to oh my god what is that called that lookout that Nicolette Tower oh. I believe yes thank you oh my god <laughs> yes and and we had this inc had this incredible um, looking through driving and walking through that that area and looking at those colors and the lines of colors yes um, but you know again a lot of it is when you when you start working with these processes these image making processes these uh, trying to find a way to transcribe that information from what you're seeing and feeling and putting it onto a page, uh, you start noticing, you start noticing those various rhythms. And, uh, you start noticing those lines of color and what they link up to and how you find your way across the image and how you find your way through space as well. You know, like if you're out driving or walking it, where where can someone find uh your work uh where can they connect with with what you do well i do have um i have some work up now at uh the friedman gallery in beacon new york and these were some small these are some small pieces that i made when i was down in New Orleans, um, spending a lot of time along Cancer, Death Alley, actually, we should just call it Death Alley, um, along the mouth of the Mississippi River and looking at all the industry, but finding myself going to the swamps quite often. So, um, so at Friedman Gallery and Beacon, there's some work on exhibition that will be there for the next two months. So May and June work will be there. 
And um, I do have a website. If you want to go to the website, it's athenalatoka.com. And there is a sampling of several projects that I've worked on over the past few years. And you can see current exhibitions posted there on exhibitions tab. So, And there's also a piece that I made two years ago, also in 2019, currently on view at the Plains Art Museum. Very true. <laughs> we'll have links in the show notes uh, to your website and to the beacon. And the Plains is, is always there, too. <laughs> Great. And I have a I have a couple projects that are coming up. One project's coming up this fall at Brick Arts Media, Brick Gallery in Brooklyn, New York. And I'll be sure to send information out about that too. But that's that's September, mid September twenty twenty one. Okay. Yeah, share that with me and we'll put it out for our, our group as well. So yeah. Athena, thank you so much for this. This was so wonderful. Thank you, Joe. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Athena again for her time and sharing her story with us. It's always great to connect with her, and it's always a joy to speak with her. One thing that often happens when we're done recording the sessions is that we still continue the conversations, and it's really turning into one of my favorite things about this whole experience. And one thing we talked about uh, at the end of the recording was about the opportunities that are available to artists in the New York City area, where in the past it was about um, clippings, uh, articles, newspaper articles, magazines that had all these listings of opportunities for artists that not just in New York City or in the country, but worldwide. And now those opportunities have translated into the digital realm. So you go to the websites, you click on those, and it'll show you those opportunities. And the thing is, is nowadays, those opportunities aren't just for those in New York City or on the West Coast. Those are available to artists all over, whoever has access to the internet. And so one thing she was able to do was provide me some links to some of those opportunities. And so I, I encourage you, if you're an artist looking for something new and different and willing to take a chance to go out in the world and find opportunities, click on those links and those will be provided uh, there. And of course, I'm always someone who is always encouraging young artists and those around me that if you have an opportunity to travel and to explore and to get out of your comfort zone and go someplace you should do it life is about adventure and finding new perspectives and this is definitely an opportunity for you to do just that um athena is a perfect example she does work all over the country uh, that's how she found us in north dakota um, but she's worked at uh, crystal bridges iaia um, just and everywhere in between and her professionalism and the quality of work shows that. So um, take a chance, take a look, and see where it takes you. But again, Athena, thank you for that, and thank you for this wonderful experience yet again. So yeah. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or our, at our plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And also, um, well, also I, I say Facebook, but it's also Instagram. Um, you can message me uh, on Facebook or, or Instagram if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview. So please look me up. And I'd like to hear from you. So that's it. You take care of yourself and we will see you next week.